lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is open. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Once again to another fantabulous edition, episode one of the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. You're listening to us, of course, on the PSN Radio Network, and we are so happy that you're with us tonight. Mike, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'll go with the whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is uh, this is our last show of the year. Um, Oh, that's right. That's right. You and I have actually been doing radio shows now. We started with the with Unraveling the Secrets, and then we moved on to this one. What's it been now? Three or four years? It's been a while. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just trying to think. Now, we've been doing The Outer Edge for a little bit more Which, than a year now, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's been two years, hasn't it? Has it been two years? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and we did, what, about a year of uh, Unraveling the Secrets, well, yeah, you did about a year. I did about two years before that. So Two years before that, right? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm and still, I, I, I'm still waiting for those residuals, residuals to start pouring in. That's right. Where's my residuals? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, will, I will have to say one thing. Um, we have been doing this longer now than what? Uh, Two, three of Art Bell's shows. <laughs> uh, sorry, I can't resist. Oh, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> so I mean, you know, if you if if you want if you want a show with staying power, then stick to the outer edge because when everyone else leaves you down and out, your friends, the outer edge will still be here because we love you. We love you all. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> Sorry to say, no comment from uh, from you, Mike. Uh, yeah, yeah, we love everybody. I'm 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 a, I'm a font of loveliness. <laughs> well, I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try I try to make, I I I try to uh, uh, make that my philosophy. That uh, you know that I I try to see the the best out of everyone, and I just appre- the only thing I ask is the same courtesy extended. To That's me. right. That's if right. You can't, if you don't. can't extend that same courtesy to me, then I don't want to deal with you. It's simple as that. And, exactly, and don't tell me I can't eat pork. <laughs> oh, oh my God, no! <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like I'm like Homer Simpson, you know. It's just like what? No pork? <laughs> so uh, now, Mike, just uh, very recently, uh, uh, you had a, uh, a, a, a an extraordinary uh, trip. Why don't you tell yeah. me about it? Well, I, I was honored to be driven out, driven out, flown out to uh, um, Boulder, Colorado. Actually, to Denver, then to Boulder. Um, by uh, Gaia TV, which is about to be ch- called Gaia, and uh, did a did a television show or a, a web TV show called uh, um, Open Minds with Regina Meredith. So 
it was a lot of fun. They really uh, treated me well, which is nice, you know, because you and I both know that a lot of times when you get sent places or brought into places to to uh, do TV spots, it's like, come in and get out. <laughs> get here quick. Leave. Oh, yeah. Man, they get, oh, yeah. They gave me two nights at a night, really swank hotel called the Hotel Boldorado, and, and just were so professional and nice about everything. And it was really uh, interesting because we got there right under the – I guess right after a snowstorm, which had delayed the flights coming in. But I got there, and uh, there was snow everywhere. It was like one good snow. And Boulder is a very pretty place. And uh, with snow, it was really nice. So it was a great trip. And while I was there, I happened to run into somebody that I'd known online and been on his radio show. And that would be Ken Cherry, tonight's guest. So I ran into Ken, and, and we both did the show. Uh, we both recorded a segment, and... Uh, then we went to dinner and stuff, so got to talk and stuff. So I said, you know, you need to come on the show. I've been on your show. Now you need to come on my show. So so he's going to be our guest tonight, and he is a fascinating guy. Fantastic. Well, now, um, where where can our listeners uh, see this program? Has it aired yet? I mean, do you have uh, I don't, an airtime or anything like that? Or not, not yet. It hasn't come on yet. So we just recorded it, and so far, you know, I'm sure they have to do post-production and all that kind of stuff, so... Right. Yeah. Is this is this a, a a web broadcast or is it like a streaming TV channel or or, or what? I think I think I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think the people they sell, they sell a, uh, a subscription to Gaim TV, right? Or and then they have Open Minds on there as part of that, and then occasionally you might see it somewhere else. So. Okay, I'll have to look that up because, you know, a lot of times some of these uh, uh, streaming services, you know, like Roku, uh, will carry that channel. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure offhand. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, uh, how long were you on? Was this like an hour-long interview program or, or that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, basically it was like, I think, probably 50 minutes to an hour long. Mm-hmm. And it was a good conversation. It went real fast. Yeah, well, so. we, what, what were you talking about? Well, we were talking about, you know, my research into um, the evidence for an unknown aspect of our biosphere as well as hidden civilizations, even civilizations older than our own, uh, not necessarily what we would call human civilizations um, that are here on the planet with us, <clears throat> excuse me, and always have been. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was pretty much the, the topic. Fantastic. I mean, they have a they have a like a studio set up there, like you know what you oh, yeah. have a traditional uh, television studio. Well, that's that's nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, 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 web broadcasts that you see are like set up in somebody's basement. <laughs> Which I mean, I, I you know, I'm not disparaging that because you you know you 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 work with what you got. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, it's it's nice to see. Um, you know, a, a, a program like that, who trying to do it right. You know, I mean, right. obviously, obviously, you know, they've got uh, they've got some financing, you know, uh, you know, somewhere, and so they're they're attempting really to, to to produce a quality program. They really are. They they apparently have a lot of uh, real luminaries on their program. I'm not saying that I'm one, but you know, I mean, they really have a lot of people like, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who are really well known like Graham Hancock and and so forth so it's a, it was a pretty nice uh pretty nice setup that they had going and and they definitely very professional and you know it was it was really an honor to be asked to be on the program so 
Fantastic. Wow. And and this was set up through um, uh, Great Distractions? Yeah. Yeah, they went through uh, my publisher to do this, so that was cool, too. Um, you know, I've got a great publisher, Brian Kennard, of course, used to be a co-host with me on Unraveling the Secrets before you were. And uh, he's a great guy, and his wife, he and his wife run the company, so his wife kind of handles the, the publicity side of things. And so she set it up, uh, Laura. Laura Kennard, so it was great. Um, it was uh, a nice change of pace. Heck, it going and getting back, but you know that's to be expected <laughs> at oh, Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I can imagine. Uh, well, at, at least you're not. Uh, at least you didn't have to fly this past week with all the uh, uh, the the warm and cold and stormy weather that uh, that went on uh, uh, earlier before, uh, just before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're about to get it today. So, where I am. By the way, we are pre-recording this show. I'm going to go ahead and say that. We're pre-recording this show because we're not going to be staying up late on the weekend of uh, the holiday weekend. So, there you go. Well, you've just, you, you, you've broken, what is it, broken the fourth the co- wall? Is that what they call it? Yeah. The code of silence. The code That's of silence. right. The code but of you know, silence. I mean, we may get knocked off of here because we have some storms coming through today that are going to be pretty bad. So, we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed. That's right. Just, you know, this, uh, you know, you think about when it comes to stormy weather. Um, you know, because I mean, a lot of people tend. Uh, I mean, my uh, I used to be this way, the way when I was a kid. You know, the weather would get uh, get really bad. And I would just uh, freak out. But if you think about how much uh, how much land there is, and you know, these types of damaging storms tend to really hit only small areas. You know, the odds are really in your favor. Of, right. Uh, of, of not getting hit, unless you know, like you're dealing with, you know, straight line winds with a uh, a, a squall line that's, you know, goes hundreds of miles right north, north and south. Uh, but you know, in that case, it's it's you know, there's not much you can do about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of what we got going today. We got a squall line that goes from the deep south all the way up to the Great Lakes, so it should be interesting. Oh so yeah, well a, it's yeah it's it's going to be coming through our area in just a little while. So if you know you start to hear things uh, 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 moving around uh, over my microphone, you'll know what's going on. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go ahead then and uh, uh, go to our first break, and then when we come back, uh, uh, we can uh, um, start our discussion. All right, uh, sounds good, man. And and, and uh, again, tell our uh, listeners who our guest is tonight. Today we have, uh, or tonight we have Ken Cherry, and Ken is an amazing uh, researcher, author, radio show host, and he will have some interesting tales to tell. All right, fantastic. Well, stay tuned. We will be right back on the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. <laughs>
Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. MrUFO8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to the Outer Edge, the last Outer Edge of 2015. Um, I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz as usual, and I'm really pleased to announce our, our guest tonight is Ken Cherry. Ken is a fifth generation Texan, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He's also a, a member of Mensa, previous state director for MUFON in the state of Texas. Um, just 
uh, all-around uh, renaissance man. He uh, is the founder and president of Epic Extraordinary Phenomena Investigations Council and uh, has been on the History Channel and all kinds of other stuff. You might have seen him on UFO Hunters, for instance. But uh, Tim, it's really, I mean, sorry, Ken, it's really good to have you on the show. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, it's been a crazy week, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, it's been a crazy couple of months for me, actually, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we enjoy the challenge, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you and I, you and I, uh, kind of touched base up at, uh, in Boulder, and, uh, you were telling me there that, uh, due to some of your research, I don't know if it's your research into the UFO stuff or, or, or what it is, but, um, Stephenville crap. Crash maybe, but you've been experiencing some serious cyber harassment and sort of uh, veiled threats, haven't you? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I had to write my book as a novel because of uh, the many whistleblowers that came forward that were either, uh, you know, from the CIA, NSA, military, law enforcement, and yeah. uh, a scientist from Area 51, specifically S4, and, uh, you know, folks of that nature who are really plugged into what's going on behind the scenes, but I could not quote them directly. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that since my book came out, I've been under constant cyber attack and even uh, one uh, physical attack. Physical attack? Oh, really? Well, physical in this sense. Uh, coming home one evening, uh, it was about uh, 9 o'clock and dark, dark 30 out around here, and I was coming down... It's a country road, and I kept turning left and right, and there was this uh, black SUV right on my bumper. And I mean literally right up against my bumper. And I kept speeding up and speeding up, and I'm one of those uh, people who use their turn signals, and after I turned three or four turns and the guy kept staying on my bumper, I thought, well, tell you what, uh, I won't signal my next turn, and I know this one uh, place up here, maybe I can lose him. So I made a turn onto a boulevard, still very dark, without my turn signal on. Darn if the guy didn't stay right on my bumper. But I knew where there was a break in the median, and I made an immediate uh, 180 uh, <laughs> you know, at about uh, 45 miles an hour. And that succeeded in losing him. But, uh, I mean... I this had to be a very very experienced driver to do what he was doing because he just stayed. I mean, his bumper was touching mine the whole time, even though I sped up, made turns, whatever. So you know, then there were a series of other things that happened on the cyber um, side that uh, reinforced that this was indeed uh, a threat. So right, you know, it's continued and. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's amazing how anybody could take such a great interest in me, but I guess they really don't want my story getting out to the public. So that's the only way I can read it. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, it seems like you can't figure out if they want to do this to harass you, to make you stop, or to actually pique your interest. <laughs> well, uh Let's put it this way. Uh, I have um, uh, a service provider for my Internet, television, and uh, uh, phone. And uh, unfortunately, everything goes through one modem. And so what I found out was that these modems themselves have uh, like an IP address. But uh, 
uh, it, what it has done is enabled someone to access all of those various uh, services in my home. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I kept having the sensation that I was being listened to on my line, and there's no one else here to listen. And right. uh, this retired military officer I was speaking with uh, uh, was on a cell phone. He didn't have a party line or anything. And we both said, it's somebody listening. So I called up my provider, Charter, and um, I spoke with one of the reps there. I said, look, I think my phone is bugged. And uh, bless his heart, I, you know, I expected this reaction like, yeah, right, you know. But he, he said, uh, uh, when was the last time you think you were overheard? And I said, well, just a, a call I just got off of five minutes ago. He said, let me do some checking. I'll be right back. And when he came back, he said, Mr. Cherry, there's evidence of telnet activity on some of your phone calls. Right. And I had no idea what telnet m- meant, but I said, uh, uh, he said, it's a bot that allows someone to um, remotely access your phone calls. And so they sent out a technician the very next morning. Uh, changed a number of things, did some new programming and so forth, and uh, gave me a rolling IP on my computer. Um, yeah, but they said, look, whoever did this, we can't track them down. Uh, we've tried. And, uh, you know, just to let you know, it seems that they probably have the time, the skill, and the resources to crack, you know, what we've done. So we can't guarantee this will be a fix. But, uh, you know, there's been several other things that have happened since then. I got my I got my cable bill and there was a five ninety nine charge for a movie on there. I have never ever in all the years rented a movie on online. Right. And so I called him up and I said, "Look, I didn't." Do, and the lady, you know, reviewed my account. She said, "Yeah, I see you've never ordered anything, so I'll just I'll take this off." I said, "By the way." What was the movie? And she said, oh, it was one of those horrible slasher movies. And, of course, I, I've never watched one of those things to begin with. But uh, right. uh, that afternoon, a neighbor of mine uh, who's kind of aware of the situation called me up and said, there was a man in a white panel truck with a beard. He looked just like some one of our special forces folks sitting there at the edge of your property. And uh, he was just looking down the whole time I was observing him. But I thought you ought to know. Well, I left the house. Got in my car, drove a block away, and my GPS started speaking to me. And I went, that's odd. I did not program the thing. And so I looked over at the destination. It was taking me to the uh, emergency room of the local hospital. Uh-oh. So, you know, slasher movie, emergency yeah. room, you know, listening to my phone calls, uh, riding on my bumper. Uh, oh, the, the latest thing is I was on a radio show the other night. On Skype, and my phone kept ringing. And I finally unplugged it. It was midnight, and I thought I didn't expect anybody to call me at midnight, but it kept ringing. I kept so I unplugged it. Then I then I got calls all night long, and finally, one of them I picked up. I you know asked, "What the hell do you want?" And they said, "Why are you harassing us?" And I went, "What? What are you talking about?" And they said, "We got five calls from your number at one o'clock in the morning." And it turns out that they're using my phone number and displaying it on other people's caller ideas and calling you know, repeatedly in the middle of the night to upset people. So, right, right. you know, it's just, it's just one thing after another. And, uh, you know, that there. Well, you must are, be doing something right. Well, 
I think that even though it's a novel, that people read it and they can tell, you know, it's pretty thinly veiled. There are, you know, there are a few things in there to drive the story along that I think are pretty obvious to most folks. But um, I'm deadly serious about a lot of things that are said in there. This is not simply for entertainment. Right. This is really meant to inform the public uh, that, you know, our government and the governments of the world are setting on the granddaddy of all uh, secrets, you know, of all conspiracies, and the knowledge of which would, um, you know, change the course of human civilization. I don't mean to over. I mean, I'm not overstating it. it that is literally the case. Right. Well, Ken, why don't you uh, uh, why don't you tell our listeners uh, what's the, uh, the the name of your novel? Ah, thanks. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> it's Mark Slade investigates. Uh, the Stephenville UFO, uh, Mark is a, uh, uh, former Marine <laughs> who took up, uh, an interest in uh, UFOs due to uh, an experience that he had early in life. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those kind of guys that wants to get down to the bottom of things. So, you know, uh, you follow him through his investigation and discovery process. And, uh, I, I, um, anchor the novel with lots and lots of facts to back up and support some of the statements and scenarios that I put in there to let people know that there is a basis for everything that I said. And so, uh, uh, I, I, so far, I think we're at 23, 24, five star reviews, which I'm very, very pleased. Everybody that's read it just loves it. It's a fast paced thriller. But it also exposes uh, what's going on uh, behind the scenes. So, uh, and that was it was all a result of my investigation into the Stephenville UFO, which was probably one of the more significant UFO sightings of all time. It was a mass U- sighting. Uh, I did uh, NBC's Dateline, and they they uh, ranked all of the UFO sightings, uh, you know, in order of significance. And I think they put uh, the Stephenville as either second or third. I don't, I don't recall. But uh, it um, very, very significant in that it was a test. It was an actual, honest-to-God, uh, back-engineered uh, craft that uh, was there for a purpose. And a lot of the people do not realize that this thing didn't just appear on January the 8th of 2008. It came back multiple times over the course of the entire year. So um, they, the, at the time it came out, uh, the story hit the wires on January 10th of 2008. It went worldwide, and the interest was just incredible. My phone is being uh, mentioned as the in charge of the investigation and the uh, state director for MUFON. My phone rang off the hook, I mean, all day and well into the night and starting early in the morning with reporters and witnesses from around the world, and I mean around the world. So um, it, it was a very big deal at the time, but that public exposure... Uh, led to me uh, gaining uh, access to a lot of information that I wouldn't have uh, had just on my own. I mean, people from various uh, intelligence agencies who want the public to know started calling me 
and giving me fact after fact after fact. And at first, uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll just put that over here in this file and folder and this and that. But after a while, the pieces of the puzzle started to fall together uh, from very many different perspectives. They all sort of triangulated on the exact same thing. And um, that that um, finally led me to the point where I said the public needs to know this, and so I put out the book. Yeah, and and so what do you think it was? That, is that that's got him upset? <laughs> well, first of all, there are several factions involved in this great deception about our true involvement with aliens and. Uh, UFOs and back engineer technology and so forth. And there, there are, and I, I've, I've, I've heard the argument from both, from two sides, uh, the people who want to disclose and the people who are against disclosure. Right. And of course, and of course, I think, you know, we would be of a, of a like minded that we would want disclosure because, uh, after all, uh, this knowledge and the knowledge of cup bring with it has potential to leap mankind forward 500 years in terms of technology. Sure. Well, you know what I think, though? We talked about this the other night, remember? I, I think that whatever they come out with as disclosure, I'm going to consider to be mostly disinformation because they're only going to tell us what they want us to think. Well, so far for um, uh, ever since uh, <clears throat> basically World War II, uh, when we first started to have some inter, you know, interaction with non-humans, uh, the folks who are against disclosure have had a firm hand. But, uh, you know, there have been uh, pressures building up from around the world as other governments also have contact and they have uh, knowledge. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to keep the information from bursting out into the public. And, and any number of countries have already made most of their files, even though they say that they are disclosing all their UFO files. Everybody has still th- some things that are so compartmentalized that they're not even available to disclose. But uh, the people that are against disclosure feel like it would upset the balance of the world, that the economies would topple, uh, the religions would, uh, uh, you know, be in doubt, and, uh, you know, the social order might break down. And so there has been some sort of a concerted effort to try to assert more and more control, and we've seen that here in the U.S., you know, with the Patriot Act, the NSA spying, uh, you know, uh, the, the militarization of the police, you, uh, you know, some of the... Um, some of the uh, exercises that the military has done, and so forth. But at any rate, those people who don't really have the that are against disclosure really don't have faith in mankind that they can handle it. That they think it would just become chaos. And I can imagine that it could in, lead to uh, uh, a quite of uh, a reshuffling of the cards with the economic uh, situation because. Uh, just consider if we had free energy, for instance. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of Middle Eastern countries that only have one commodity uh, to keep, uh, you know, to sell to keep their populations in check. And if that stuff becomes uh, practically worthless, then those, uh, you know, uh, those populations can rise up. And, I mean, you 
you could be looking at a major war for just that influence alone. Yeah. But there is another faction, and uh, it's the non-humans um, that uh, are uh, in um, January, late January 2008, when there was so much publicity about the, uh, um, the Stephenville UFO, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer was being interviewed on Coast to Coast, and uh, George Knapp asked him, uh, off the subject, just a moment here, uh, Dr. Greer, what do you think about this uh, Stephenville uh, mass sighting out there? And Greer hesitated a moment and said, uh, I think it is an, a watershed event. And uh, that made an impact. <laughs> I, I would completely agree. Uh a few days later, a good friend of ours that you know, uh, Jim Mars, called me up, and he was obviously very much aware, since this was all big news of my investigation, and he said, Ken, uh, in my 40-some-odd years of investigative journalism, I've developed a, a lot of reliable sources, and he said, I have this one gentleman that wants to talk to you because, uh, and he said, he's been pretty good over the years, and uh, I said, great, I, uh, you know, please, uh, let me talk to him. So anyway, the the uh, the fellow said, and this was late January, he said, in a few days at the early part of February, there's going to be a U.N. meeting among the top, uh, civil, you know, countries in the world, and not uh, their ambassadors and so forth, but these are the people who are really in the know in the UFO field. And... Uh, that the, the Stephenville event has everybody so upset that there's going to, you know, they're they're convening this special meeting. Well, I kind of put that aside and said, well, if it's secret, you know, <laughs> how am I going to know? But indeed, something did um, uh, appear in the uh, internet later about this meeting that had taken place, and, and it went on for three days apparently. And uh, later, uh, Dr. Michael Scala, uh, Sala had. Uh, discussed uh, what went on in this meeting as well so as, since he he reported what i had been also told i can only assume we both had the same source but at any rate the bottom line of this entire three-day meeting was the fact that our representative said look uh you you need to be preparing your people for disclosure because uh the others are getting uh uh you know they're getting impatient with our pace and it's going to happen one way or the other. In other words, uh, the others are going to force disclosure even if the governments of the world don't go public. So, um, you know, since then we have seen uh, more and more of these. I mean, you have people standing in line for two weeks now to see a Star Wars uh, uh, show. So this, yeah. all of these things are part of the conditioning process to prepare uh, the public for what is to come. I think it's going to be a deception. Honestly. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, if it is, I would think that it's uh, our our leaders, our people who are yes. against it, that will create the deception. Yes. Uh, much as Stephenville was, in a sense, a deception because yeah. uh, that was strictly to judge the psychological effect of this uh, repeated exposure of this ex exotic technology that was in the skies. I mean, we're, our military, one of the, one of the, the big attention getters of that whole incident there was the fact that the original uh, group that uh, re 
was written about in the newspapers was uh, a Mr. Steve Allen, who himself was a private pilot, and uh, three of his friends were out um, uh, side and just talking. And uh, by the way, one of the the people there, uh, the uh, lady was. Uh, a long-term, I mean, a career uh, employee of American Airlines, and again, she was very familiar with aircraft and and so forth. So anyway, they were all out, and they saw this e- enormous uh, ship uh, uh, going across the horizon, and uh, uh, it was a clear day, you know, pretty much unlimited visibility and so forth. And then it it took off at great speed, and but lo and behold, while they were talking there. Later, it came back. The second time, it was being followed by F-16s that were in afterburner. And uh, um, they said that this uh, suddenly the uh, the UFO took off and just made it look like the F-16s were just standing, sitting there in the air. Yeah. And they described this craft as being, um, or Steve Allen did, they described the craft as being, uh, a mile long and about a quarter mile wide and having flown at about 2,000 miles an hour wow. uh, based, based on his knowledge of the distance uh, across the horizon and having flown it himself he was uh, he felt it was a pretty good judge of the speed and the size and so forth so um, you know that was consistent with the reports that we were getting from many many people I mean I I personally took over 150 calls from from people who witnessed uh, a UFO in that area, and uh, I I know that we probably total had input from 300. Now, not everybody would agree to to fill out a form, you know, and so forth. Even though we promised them they would be anonymous, but uh, this thing was absolutely huge. But what folks don't know is that, A, there were two types of UFOs, this big one that the media uh, dubbed the mothership, of course, and this, and the others that were these bright, glowing orbs. Uh, sometimes it'd be one, sometimes it was split into several, sometimes it'd be flying in formation, uh, but uh, the, the uh, those were the two types, and of course, you know, those were dubbed the scout ships or something like that, but, but the media, but uh, we ran a number of uh, different uh, uh, radar uh, studies and found uh, the this large ship uh, where the witnesses said it was, uh, and we did find the F-16s, which the military initially denied. But So it showed up, that giant ship showed up on radar. Yes, it did, and wow. it was not transponding. And, uh, uh, and later in the year... Uh, in October 2008, it returned, and we tried to keep it low-key this time so that the, we didn't have this media circus that occurred on the first uh, major event. But what we found there was an 87% correlation between the the location and the time uh, that witnesses reported it. So, you know, you don't get much better than that. And, right. Uh, so... It, we had a that was another um, I think distinctive aspect of the Stevenville UFO was the uh, highly uh, credible witnesses that we had. These were all, you know, for the most part, gray-haired folks. I mean, these were not yeah. pie in the sky types. Even though it was a a uh, 
uh, college town. We didn't have any, uh, you know, wide-eyed college students coming in. It was mostly, uh, and bear in mind, this is a, a community there, about 15,000 people. The main yeah. uh, produce is uh, dairy, <laughs> uh, you know, milk, you know, from the right. dairy farms. And so these are down-to-earth, salt-the-earth, middle-class, middle-aged people uh, who generally go to bed early, get up early, work hard, and they're not prone to fantasy. And that was one of the reasons that this community or this area was chosen, I think. You don't you don't do a test of that nature over Los Angeles or Dallas or, you know, New York City or something initially. So, uh, but... Um, uh, I would say that everybody was uh, first off uh, very excited, expectant. They wanted answers, but they all pretty much uh, felt like they had had a once in a lifetime, you know, event that they had witnessed. Uh, and so I think that the people who were for disclosure initially were very pleased with the results, you know, that, okay, everybody's not up in arms, have pitchforks and shotguns out looking for aliens, and, you know, they're not hovering under their beds or anything, cowering under their beds. But as time went on and this thing returned and returned and returned, people became hypersensitive to anything, and a lot of the earlier reliable witnesses even became... You know, pretty much nervous wrecks that were reporting, you know, UFOs all over the place. And so it did, I think, bolster the argument for the people who don't want to disclose and that, hey, look, you know, over time, this thing has a potential to, you know, for, you know, this societal breakdown. I mean, so if it's just there and obvious and constant. So, uh, you know, you could say, it's hard to say uh, what the final uh, final an- analysis was, but anyway, that's just our experience with having uh, 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 myself and um, uh, uh, Bill Burns, who's a PhD, and yeah. uh, uh, several other people were sitting and discussing the case, and uh, and um, uh, Dr. Maccabee, Bruce Maccabee said it first, but we're all thinking it, and he said, mass hysteria is what we're looking at. And you so know, it, I, I don't understand why they think that that sighting, as extraordinary as it was, it wasn't as if the media didn't know about it and talk about it. Uh, what what could they see that you've done that could be such a threat that they've got to try to shut you up? Well, uh, the that particular... Uh, incident really was only the foundation for the discoveries that I made later. Uh, it was the door that opened to, uh, you know, the, uh, the access to the, the to the big secret. And to give you an example, uh, I was contacted by a couple of scientists who uh, uh, didn't want, you know, their names used, of course, but at any rate, uh, uh both of them uh, claim to have worked at uh, Area 51, specifically in the S4 complex there, as research scientists. And one of them provided me with uh, uh, a transcript of a polygraph that he took. And uh, uh, I'll just give you uh, some examples of some of these. Did you did you or do you work at S4 complex? Yes. Polygraph result true. Were you research scientist in S4? Yes, true. Oh, by the way, 
did you know Bob Lazar inside S4? Yes, true. Is Bob Lazar's wow. information is Bob Lazar's information on alien spacecraft correct? Yes, true. Was your job to blueprint alien energy systems? Yes, true. Um, do alien life forms exist? Yes, true. Have you ever photographed personally alien life forms? Yes, true. Have you ever been threatened with death for discussing Area 51 or S4? Yes, true. Have you been threatened within the last 30 days? Yes, true. And um, it goes on and on. Have you ever touched an alien life form? Yes, uh, true. Uh, have you, is there more than eight alien spacecraft that you personally examine? Yes, true. Are you an anti-gravity scientist? Yes, true. Do you use a lens assembly to generate anti-gravity energy? Yes, true. And so, you know, those are the types of uh, people who came forward, obviously cannot, I mean, he states right there or upon questioning that his life has been threatened and actually gives the name of two other scientists who were murdered and it was made to look like uh, suicide. Whoa. And so this is uh, serious business to the people who are involved. Uh, and you have to, um, it's, um, it's hard to imagine the power that the that this knowledge brings with it. I mean, and not just the, the knowledge, but the technology. I'm going to give you a quick uh, story here. Uh, I had a friend from high school whose dad worked. It was always in – he. Uh, I lived in Fort Worth, as my friend did, and we attended the same high school. I knew his father lived uh, in Washington, D.C. I had no idea what his dad did. But it, later in life, when my interest in this sort of thing came to light, my friend called me up and said, uh, Dad, who was then an elderly guy, wanted to get together with you. And frankly – the old man and I had a pretty good uh, relationship when he, he would come home on, uh, during Christmas and things like that nature. But the rest of the time he lived in D.C. Anyway, it uh, turns out when he was a young man, he, he had been a member of the OSS, which was the forerunner of the CIA. And uh, he had been very much a part of the occupation government of Japan after World War II. And um, as such, a confidant of uh, General MacArthur. Well... Apparently, uh, during the war, there were several UFOs that were shot down accidentally, on purpose, whatever. And MacArthur had viewed some of these crash sites and alien bodies. I don't know if any of them were still alive. But at any rate, uh, later on, MacArthur gave a speech to a graduating West Point class and intimated that in the future, we will you know, be facing an enemy from other worlds. And he also kind of repeated that theme in a newspaper interview with a reporter uh, later when he was staying in a hotel in, in uh, New York City. But anyway, back to my friend's uh, father. Um, he said that uh, uh, he had been uh, a member of a three-man committee that made the final approval for black budgets, and that one year the the budget request was so huge that they couldn't sign it. And so they called this four-star general in front of the panel. Of course, bear in mind, this is all secret. Uh, so uh, the three of them and the general sitting there, and they said, look, this is such an enormous amount that you're requesting. 
And we just can't sign it till we know where it's going because there's no oversight, nothing. And so he said that the general, uh, t- he said they specifically, but anyway, they took the three of them to this enormous hangar. And when they opened it up, there was all sizes of flying saucers in there. And the general turned to him and said, that's where the money's going. Well, the thing is, this was in the early 60s. And so uh, the fact of the matter is we have had a secret space program at least since the early 60s. And so you don't – I mean, so very many of the sightings that are reported from around the world are back-engineered technology. But you and I and anybody out there in the audience with half, you know, two brain cells wrapped together knows – that they haven't just used that stuff just to fly around in our in our own atmosphere. I mean, if this is alien technology capable of uh, traveling from our world to the next, whether it be another galaxy, another dimension, another time, whatever it is, then they've been using it. And the the eight most powerful families in the world ain't going to give up that technology for us peons. As a matter of fact, uh, Ben Rich, who was the uh, CEO of the Skunk Works, uh, Lockheed Skunk Works, that did a, a very uh, significant amount of black budget work, he was also known as the father of stealth, gave a speech before he died where he said that uh, we now have the technology to take E.T. home and uh, that there was a flaw in Einstein's uh, theory that it would not take light years as, uh, he, as he thought. So that was such a stunning remark that uh, a scientist that I know that was in the audience uh, later followed uh, Ben Rich out to his car in the parking lot as he was getting in. He approached him and he said, did you, did you mean what you said? And Ben looked at him and said, I wasn't kidding. And he also had stated that this technology wouldn't be brought out by the people who control it to save mankind. Well, why the hell should they? I mean, they could take their elite few and go someplace else. You know, the heck with those seven billion peons down here. And, um, you know, who knows what kind of information and knowledge that they have gleaned over the last 50 or 60 years. So, um you know, that is the kind of information, uh, and I do put this scenario in my book with the hangar and the scientists working uh, with the non-humans and the UFO technology and all of that. And I explain that where the Stephenville UFO came from physically, which is another big, big revelation, uh, that, uh, you know, the powers of be don't want people to know. So... Yeah, that's why I'm being intimidated, uh, and hopefully it won't go beyond, you know, things like, uh, you know, cyber attacks and, you know, somebody riding on my bumper. <laughs> well, now, if uh, if the authorities don't want the public to know about these crafts, why the uh, the public display uh, of them over Stephenville? Well, again, uh, things like the 1952 Armada that went over Washington, D.C., that was viewed by thousands of people, recorded on photographs and videos of the day, uh, cameras and so forth. Uh, the Arizona, uh, uh, you know, the Phoenix Lights. All of these things are, to, I mean, 
one thing I want to get across to you, the disclosure is inevitable. It's going to happen, whether the people who are trying to control, the people uh, who don't want disclosure are trying to, uh, uh, when they can, discredit uh, folks. And there was a lot of uh, uh, press uh, back during Stephenville uh, that was outlandish, that was trying to discredit poo-poo, the whole thing, to obfuscate the, well, the truth. But they know that they can't. You know, withhold this information from the public forever because ultimately the others are in control. Um, so you know, what they want to do is gauge the readiness, you know, that, that how, how much they need to gear up, how much control, how much force they're going to have to assert over the population. And so they just run these little tests uh, from time to time. Um, and that was the that was the entire reason for it was uh, uh, you know to find out the, the effect upon the population. Uh, one another uh, uh, thing on a well a little vignette. Um, one of my um, sources is a NSA contractor. He's a scientist. He didn't work for the NSA full time, but he was employed to design a system for a nuclear submarine. And uh, when they was being taken out the test, he was allowed to uh, come along, you know, to observe so he could see how the system functioned and so forth. And um, he was near the radar shack, and he said, uh, "We're up in the." New England, North Atlantic, uh, and uh, among all these little islands and inlets and things. And he said, suddenly the radar uh, operator yells out, fast walker. And he looked over at this big uh, UF, um, uh, radar screen, and he said this USO shot past them underwater, of course, at uh, a tremendous speed, you know, just like they were sitting still. And he turned, looked at this admiral that was standing there uh, with them, and the admiral just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, we see those all the time. So, it, it, in fact, there's a great deal of underwater activity, uh, more so than probably in the air. And, uh, the, you know, that information is, is has, for the most part, been pretty much controlled by the uh, militaries of the world. Um, so, but the f- fact is, since we uh, humans are everywhere now, and uh, it's you know it's more of a nuisance for them to hide their presence. So eventually, um, they're going to just make their presence so obvious that you know disclosure or not, people are going to know what's happened. So. Um, that's that's why you know the pressure is on to prepare people and for the bad guys to figure out well you know uh, are we gonna have to put troops in the street you know whatever so <laughs> they run these tests. Well, now you were uh, you were talking about the uh, uh, anti gravity ships that are, are now in control by uh, by the United States. Uh, did this technology come from uh, our back engineering cra- uh, crashed aircraft, uh, spaceships, or was it given to us, or kind of a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B? Yeah, I think probably the latter. Um, 
bear in mind that there are many different alien species and that um, uh, so there's different types of technology and uh, initially what we have and uh, began to develop was the result of back engineering from crashed uh, as uh, you know vehicles so we're either brought down accidentally or on purpose and so uh, but then later on uh, you know as i have uh, said uh, and uh, it's been told to me by several sources we later developed re- uh, a working relationship with uh, non-humans and, and in some cases uh, aliens uh, to develop their technology and some of it was just simply gifted to us so um yeah i mean it's st- there's still work going on because there's still different types of technology but uh, let's put it this way we've had at least uh, the capability to travel to other planets in our solar system for so do you think we have done that that we have branched out and we have bases throughout the solar system i i i don't know to the extent of what we've developed in other places i have no knowledge on that but i will say this that there's clear to me that uh, you know we have a secret space program with secret uh, pilots and crews uh, that uh, uh you know, fly these ships out of our atmosphere into other other worlds, and no doubt have had other contacts. So, who knows what uh, what has happened? So, um, uh, it, we talk about this, and we are talking about it now on a radio show, and we're kicking the subject around. But when you stop and think about it, I mean, the gravity of of this is just enormous. I mean. Um, this is the greatest deception of all time. And it, I mean, it would just change the course of human history. So this is our civilization. So this is just, it, it's almost too big of a subject to comprehend, uh, the effect it would have on us. So, yeah, we've, if we've, you, you know, <laughs> just think back to the days of early exploration when the royalty of Europe, uh, uh, Italy and uh, France and, and, uh, and England uh, ha- had the ability to build, or you know, huge ships and sail out to the New World. I mean, the enormous wealth that it brought to them. I mean, that is that is the nature of mankind: is to explore, to travel, to you know, to if you can't trade with them conquer them and, and exploit them so right it, do i think our nature has changed any in hundreds of years hell no i mean yeah. uh, of course yeah these people are going to if if they have siphoned off trillions of dollars in secret to build this space fleet you know they've used it <laughs> i mean uh so Whatever they have discovered and whatever they have, uh, the, the world has paid for and we should be entitled to, uh, the, you know, the benefit, uh, the fruits of, uh, of that. And yet, uh, there are greedy, evil, you know, uh, power hungry people who are keeping it from us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it sounds like uh, they're really concerned that you're going to 
spill the beans on something that's coming pretty pretty soon? Well, uh, as I said, it it doesn't. You know, there I'm another voice out there crying for disclosure. Um, I I, um, uh, I know and met uh, Dr. Joseph Burke a couple of times, who was originally uh, involved with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer when he just started all of this disclosure movement and so forth. And, and I've been assured that Stephen Greer has on his uh, phone, on speed dial, some of the uh, top movers and shakers and governments around the world who publicly disavow knowledge of UFOs and poo-poo, all that stuff, and and they call him, you know, and update him on things that have occurred and things that they know and, you know, developments that are taking place. So um, as as powerful as our people, the people uh, who are against disclosure, believe they are and to what extent they think it's to the uh, you know it's for our own good uh, I really don't think it the uh, it's in their hands ultimately so um, as I said it's going to happen it's just that how is it going to happen is it going to be a benign disclosure because uh, we'll finally get somebody in office who stands up there at the podium and says okay here I want to let you know what's been going on and uh, you know spills the beans on everything, uh, or is it going to be some mass, uh, some deception, as you pointed out, where you know we have some fake invasion, or uh, you know uh, they've been um, distracting us with one thing after another, endless wars in the Middle East, uh, 9/11, you name it. You know, there's always something. To keep the the public distracted, but and it's an excuse to put in more and more controls. And are, are those people going to win? And they'll you know have troops in the street, and they'll be opening uh, internment camps, you know, to save us uh, or or what? Uh, but it, I'm I'm convinced it will happen. So. Um, well, you know, Ken, um, I've often wondered just how much. Uh, our government, military, you know, the, the elites actually know about the, uh, the, the entities that are behind the whole UFO phenomena. You know, I've, I've often wondered if, if, if these entities have been, you know, uh, upfront, uh, about themselves and about their their origins. I mean, I have no doubt that in the past that that we have been contacted uh, uh, by you know by these groups. I mean, that, you know, I do I do believe that there's been you know landings and things like that. But I've often wondered whether or not if then after the fact the information that has been provided to us has been found out to be uh, uh, spurious. Well, uh, what what do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of thoughts about that. For one thing, if the aliens or non-humans are playing the long game, they're playing a very long game because we have found uh, drawings of uh, classic-looking flying saucers on the walls of caves. It was uh, so apparently they've been visiting the Earth for a very, very long time since the dawn of uh, the history of mankind. So well, you know, you know, we talked about that the other night. I, I still think that those are probably co-planetarians, even if they originated here a million years ago and left. Well. Let, 
let me so, uh, let me kind of make a reveal here that's in my book, but uh, I you know I won't it won't be a spoiler. But another one of my sources gave me some truly astonishing information, and uh, I'm going to preface it by this: I have interviewed hundreds of people over the years. I mean, uh, probably. Two, three hundred people just involved with the Stephenville event. Not all of them were witness to that uh, 2008 event, but they came forward and they were elderly people in some cases and said, we've lived here all of our lives and we've been seeing things like this for quite a long time. And we couldn't talk about it before because of the fear of ridicule. But at any rate, um, everybody that I ever interviewed was open to the idea that we were not alone in the universe, that it, it just didn't make any sense for us to be the only sentient beings, and that they were completely open to the idea that we're being visited by highly intelligent aliens from another planet, another galaxy, another uh, dimension, or maybe even time travelers. That, you know, was pretty much universally accepted. But what would, I think, and part of the people who are against disclosure have pointed out would keep people awake at night and maybe cause chaos, you know, socially uh, around the world is the knowledge that not all of these visitors are extraterrestrials. Right. In other words, they are terrestrials. They're here in large numbers, and they've been here uh, as an advanced race before man. And so, in that sense, this is their world. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, I have nothing but praise and respect for, once made a statement that uh, aliens saved us from a nuclear war. And I would differ with him on two accounts. Uh, that, first of all, they're not aliens. They're terrestrials, non-humans. Right. And they didn't, they didn't save us. They saved the planet because they don't want to live in a radioactive environment any more than we do. And so, um, you know, I, if, if all of these non-human and ET species had harmful intent, they could have wiped us out, you know, in our infancy. So, uh, I think we're too quick to try to ascribe human emotions to them one way or the other. It's not they love us, they like us. It's like one of them said, do you like cows? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess so. Well, you like them right up to the point where you slaughter them and eat them, right? You know, so yeah. it's just, we can't, we can't yeah. ascribe, uh, you know, our emotional uh, context to them. But on the other hand, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't think that they're going to want to go to much trouble to hide their presence much longer. But just to emphasize, they're here. They've been here. They're the source of many, many myths and and legends, you know, throughout mankind's history. And they they've been ad, advanced, uh, you know, for a very long time. Yeah. And just imagine a race that had this capability. Uh, back when we were still dragging our knuckles, uh, and now we have that uh, technology? I mean, my God, it could still uh, propel us forward hundreds, of, if not a thousand years into the future. And uh, so 
I mean, there are people here that wouldn't hesitate to kill all of their own population that uh, before they would give up that kind of power. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because it's as if they, we've been a resource to them, and I think we have. They see us as a resource, so they kind of allowed us. There have been advocates for both sides, I guess, and they've allowed us to develop our civilization to this point. And and so now we we have to wonder, you know, how many different factions are there out there? I'm talking about the co-planetarians, the people that the, the beings that are the races that are from here, the species that are from here. Some may not be real fond of us at all. Others may be saying, well, you know, we got to help them, we got to give them a chance. But understand that if if these beings, let's say that, uh, just say as recently as ten thousand years ago, if they achieved what we call the singularity. For instance, if they if they uh, discovered computing power, uh, I mean, if they even harnessed the crystalline uh, growth inside our own planet, like the masses of gigantic quartz crystals that exist in the crust of the Earth, kind of like the ones in, in, in Mexico, and say they utilize those for uh, computer storage and informa- of information and so forth, their 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 abilities by now would be godlike. Which would yeah. explain a lot. Yes, certainly. Uh, uh, I forget uh, who the writer was who said uh, any technology sufficiently. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke. Any technology sufficiently ahead of ours would appear to be magic, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but just to think back to all of the myth and mythology uh, of, uh, you know, over the last. To, to several thousand years, uh, where gods came down and did this or that, or um, you know, legends about little people who came out and you know uh, stole away folks' uh, children, and I mean, it's just uh, mind-boggling the implications of actually advanced races that actually live here and, for the most part, uh, subterranean. So. Uh, it, it is a great deal to wrap your uh, mind around. And um, I will say this, you know, I wrote the book as a resource, but I put in many, many um, instances of where some of the things for assassinations and uh, abductions and, and uh, whatever uh, have taken place. I think that in terms of proof, there is ample, more than sufficient proof that we're being visited on a regular basis. Um, we had too many scientists, astronauts, cosmonauts, uh, uh, former defense secretary of uh, Canada, uh, you know, uh, various people around the world who uh, are very credible who attest to the fact that, you know, they've either been in contact with or are seen and these uh, craft and, and non-human. So the proof is there. Um, it's just, I think, when people say they're waiting for disclosure, what they really mean is uh, they're waiting for this interaction on a public basis with them because disclosure, in my mind, is already a, a, a fact. So, um 
Yeah. Well, well, you know, I mean, I I would think that uh, for the most part, I mean, you know, uh, at least in the United States, that people would be more comfortable with disclosure if it was revealed that, yeah, that UFOs, you know, just just you know were represented, uh, you know, an extraterrestrial race. But then if you would throw in the whole part that, uh, yeah, and then you've got this group that uh, actually lives here on the planet with us and has been with us for a long time, I think that that would freak a lot of people out. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's one thing to think that, yeah, I mean, they live, you know... Uh, far, far away. Far, far away, but to yeah. think that, yeah, they're they're right here. They could be your neighbors, even, or that they're sort of thing. They're here all the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, that, I think, but, uh, just would really cause the riots. Well, sure. and, and that is one of the more powerful arguments that the folks who are against disclosure uh, bring up on a consistent basis. Is Look, uh, I, one of the uh, contacts that I had that informed me about this um work for an intelligence agency and he was pointing out how very very compartmentalized everything is that has to do with uh you know our the governments and various agencies that the government's contact with non-humans and uh, uh their technology and so forth but at any rate he um uh, and I'm revealing something about the location that the UFO came from, revealed that there, that he was aware of, in his capacity, two underground facilities in Texas, and that, so he was just given a very, very small view of the overall picture. He had met one other person in all his time, uh, who was also aware of two other facilities within Texas. So the impression is that, um, you know, there are a great many of these uh, all over the world and that our intelligence folks are, I mean, Snowden has said as much as well that the CIA knows about these underground, uh, you know, terrestrial beings and they're in contact with them and they know for the most part the location of these things. And that was sort of reinforced by the contact that I had, but he said, you know, no one person, at least at his level, has a picture of the over, you know, the overall picture. Well, well, think about this, Ken. I mean, if they've been here, which obviously they have, all along, then they have managed to manipulate and infiltrate human society, probably to a degree we would not even believe. They probably do control governments and, and whole civilizations and societies. You know, they used to set themselves up as guys to be sacrificed to and provided for. We don't really do that openly anymore, but they probably still have ways of getting what they want, and they well, manipulate us to do it. If, if, let's, let's just say that they do have a bloodlust. Well, we've certainly provided Hi, I'm LeVar, plenty of oceans of blood for them over the uh, Yes, you know. yes, exactly. Yeah, they've got they've got their own agenda, and they are so interested in everything. You know, I, it, it, the more you study about secret societies, you find out that there are other levels above the supposed final levels. Of course, you know that. Yes. And that they, the, those who make it to those levels find out that they are serving non-human masters. We had um, uh, a NASA scientist who came to. Uh, Dallas uh, to speak to the Rosicrucians, which uh, I'm not personally too familiar with, but a friend of mine uh, was at the meeting and it was closed to Rosicrucians only. And this NASA scientist spoke about 
uh, all the different alien propulsion systems and uh, he, he described and discussed, uh, I think it was like 16 or 17 different alien species that he was aware of. This, uh, the idea that we've had a secret space program, uh, also, uh, you know, exposes the fact that NASA's been a sham all of these years. It's just a public work program. Uh, you know, here we are using this rocket technology that, you know, the Chinese basically came up with, uh, uh like these chemical rockets. Right. Right. Uh, hundreds, if not a thousand years ago. So, you know, that's just nonsense. And it's a shame that there's been so, but I think that's also why, you know, our presidents uh, of late have uh, really downscaled uh, NASA because they realize it's just a sham and they have their own agendas they'd love to spend the money on. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, this uh, gentleman I know, uh, I, uh, well, another NASA scientist that I spoke with said that in the early days of our space program, the NASA program, they were sending up, we, uh, NASA and the Russians, were sending up these probes to Mars. And uh, in both cases, you know, these things would function perfectly until they would near the atmosphere of Mars and then suddenly just shut off. And uh, he said that it, in one case, he saw where uh, there was a five-second or so clip that was not shown to the public, but uh, this probe, uh, which was constantly sending back images, showed this uh, big UFO, you know, entering into the picture, and he said you could clearly see, um, you know, observation windows and some uh, landing gear on the bottom of the craft and so forth. And anyway, just before it shut off, so obviously the who whoever did it i mean who knows if it was aliens hell it might have been one of ours you know but um uh, that they were the reason that all of these uh uh you know, probes were were dying at the last minute after having worked perfectly so right anyway that um the organization that i work for uh well let me go back a bit one of the things that set out this Cold War among these different factions was a uh, uh, called the Robertson Panel uh, in the early 50s that was uh, established by the CIA to study the UFO and ET uh, phenomenon. Anybody could look it up. And uh, among uh, some of the uh, recommendations that came forward from there was that, one, all the other agencies should turn over all their information about UFOs and, and alien technology and so forth to the CIA. Yeah, just take it all, you know, <laughs> give it to us. And so, you know, the Air Force and some of the other agencies says, yeah, here it is. There's everything we've got. Right. And uh, um, one of the other recommendations was – uh, very significantly, that the uh, there should be begin a public campaign to educate uh, people about UFOs and ETs and so forth. And they they mentioned um, and remember this was just six years after the war. So so the Jim Handy company that had made defense films, 
Uh, I'm trying to think. Arthur Godfrey was one, was the big radio and uh, soon to be TV star of the day. You know, the the the, moder- the, the Rush Limbaugh back then, I suppose you might say. Uh, and that they should use him. And a Disney company was also mentioned. So <laughs> that has developed. That developed over. The, so it's not coincidental that over the years that there was more and more of this proliferation of science fiction and more and more credible looking science fiction. Up until now, again, we have right. people stand in line for two. So it's a part of a, you know, a conditioning or brainwashing that's been going on. The other major recommendation that they made was that the UFO groups of the day should be studied and monitored very carefully. So, in fact, uh, the CIA and other uh, intelligence groups began to infiltrate the, uh, uh, the, the, the groups of the day. Uh, NICAP was National Investigation of, uh, Committee of Aerial Phenomena. Uh, actually, uh, uh, Vice Admiral uh, Hillencotter, who had been the first uh, director of the CIA, became a member of their board, uh, an aide to uh, uh, Goldwater, who was a CIA employee uh, agent, uh, joined the group. And there were a number of other uh, intelligence folks in there and finally they uh, pretty much wiped out the uh, the group and uh, uh, it had been one of the mo- most influential of the day I think though from that they they decided well hey, wait a minute it's better to uh, keep one of these keep this going and to become a collection spot for all of the uh, witness reports that are coming in from around the world. Uh, we could better monitor you know, the movers and shakers in the UFO um, uh, groups, and uh, and we can also shape uh, the information that's getting out to the public. And so, uh, you know, it's not uh, a coincidental that soon after that, MUFON was formed. And uh, you know, one of the things that I ran into is I couldn't understand why some as some. Uh, things were being denied to my investigation or taken away from us, and and uh, and why uh, the spokesperson for the organization was out, uh, you know, appearing on programs with a with a cub reporter who was completely distorting the facts, and I think uh, it's sort of engaged in a type of disinformation campaign. So and it certainly was to discredit the credibility of the of the whole incident in my mind but at any rate uh, once i began to investigate uh, look inward uh, after my tenure there for 12 14 years total um and find all of the coincidental uh associations with uh, intelligence communities where you had two former um, uh, international directors uh, who were uh, former uh, military intelligence, uh, one who had been a very high up uh, um, um, uh, executive in NASA, who once told a uh, reporter, you know, if I told you everything I knew, I'd have to kill you. And um, oddly enough, there was no smiling on either side. 
<laughs> and uh, uh, you know, one of the co-founders of MUFON's uh, brother was a career CIA employee. I mean, you know, once you keep finding these uh, um, connections, you know, how uh, when do you stop saying it's coincidence? Anyway, I decided that the best way to go was to. You know, for my own organization, Epic Extraordinary Phenomena Investigations Council, and uh, you know, our our mission is to investigate all types of uh, extraordinary phenomena and present the, in, the information unfiltered, you know, to the public. Right. And, right. And so, uh, anyway, uh, let me plug my book if you don't mind. I sure. Oh, uh, uh, Ken, let me uh, let let me uh, interrupt you here for a minute. Uh, we need to go and uh, take a break, and when we come back, uh, I'll give you uh, uh, ample time to uh, uh, to plug your book. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah our, our, right now, our network is demanding that uh, that we go to our break. So let's just go ahead and uh, All right. appe- appease them. <laughs> So uh, you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Right now we are talking with Ken Cherry, so stay tuned and we will be right back. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Superman. Homepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomepage.com I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection cleared. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? 
Tell us at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks. Radio loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple, right? Radio loyalty. Click that banner to join now. You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. The outer edge of the PSN radio network. Our guest tonight is Ken Cherry. And uh, Ken, I wanted to give you the opportunity uh, to uh, plug your book a little bit, then we'll continue our uh, conversation for the rest of the show. So, uh, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, uh, what's the title of, the, of your book again, and uh, where can we find it? Yeah, the, the name again is Mark with a C M A R C Slade Investigates. Uh, the Stephenville UFO, and, uh, you know, it's a thinly disguised, uh, real story based on, uh, real events that's, uh, you know, posed as a novel. But you can find it, if you want to get a, a, uh, an autographed copy, you can go to my website, which is Epic Voyagers, E-P-I-C-V-O-Y-A-G-E-R-S dot com. Or you can go to Amazon and just look it up by title or by me, the author, Ken Cherry. And, uh, you know, I think we're up to 23 uh, reviews now. I still have five-star, and everybody who re- reads it uh, really enjoys it. I think part of the problem is a lot of people say, the, the Stephen Mill UFO, that's been in the news so much, I, I already know the story. But <laughs> what they don't even know the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And... Uh, and one of the things, if you don't mind, uh, we were talking about just a bit earlier was the compartmentalization uh, that resulted in all of these more or less warring factions. Uh, it came about as a result of the Robertson panel ordering everybody to turn over all their information to the CIA. And, of course, uh, the Air Force and others uh, resisted that. I mean, this is a very – these are very jealously guarded – Secrets and uh, that just in, uh, hardened the lines uh, really between factions. Um, in my book, there's a couple, several characters are based on real folks, and uh, I guess you could figure out who the good-looking former Marine is in there, Mark Slade. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, and I'm sure you can figure out who Aqua is, the f- former UFO group that he was part of, and. Um, uh, one of the uh, characters is an older woman uh, named Gladys. She's a very interesting lady I met in uh, 
at a UFO conference uh, during one of the lunch at the lunch breaks. You're sitting at a table by yourself, and I went over, sat down, introduced myself, and we got to talking, and we we struck up a friendship. She was I knew she was a Ph had a PhD. She was a brilliant woman, and we just enjoyed our conversations about various things. And she was an older lady, a retired. Uh, but at any rate, as over time I got to uh, know her well enough that she confided in me that once she had completed her graduate study, she was uh, approached by a recruiter for the CIA, and they offered to pay for her uh, doctorate uh, studies and provide her with a, uh, a very uh, uh, good-paying job uh, with Bell Labs. And so she took them up on it. And um, one of the things he told me was that this, uh, where she worked at Bell Labs was so secret that the, the room had no windows and they weren't even allowed to tell, she wasn't even allowed to tell anyone where her, where the parking lot was. But at any rate, she went to, uh, to Russia as part of her uh, doctorate studies on an exchange program. She, back in those days, they just assumed everybody was a spy that came over on these, uh, exchange programs and they were very open about you know kgb following her everywhere and so she even sat down with her uh, uh kgb uh uh you know the handler there anyway he <laughs> very openly pulled out this uh thick file or uh, this file and showed her and said here's the <laughs> here's the file on you you know and opened it up and she was amazed you know she was a young woman and uh, that they had so much information and, uh, and part of it was that she was what she said was a lesbian and she's back in those days I wasn't you know I wasn't public so she was kind of stunned by the the depth of the information they had about her but at any rate um, uh, one thing she did say was that they developed uh, they at Bell Labs there developed the uh, cell phones long before they were made public they were used by our intelligence agencies wow at any, at any rate our um, uh, even though she was on the organizational chart there, uh, her boss knew better than to ask questions about where she was if she wasn't, you know, in-house. Uh, one day she received a call from her CIA handler, and this was her, said, you know, he was giving her an assignment, which was basically her first field assignment. He said, you're just uh, to go and observe and he gave her the coordinates and said, be there at such and such time. And um, so she said, fine. And then he said, and report back what you see. So she drove a couple states away, went and parked you know, in this secluded place. And she had her um, binoculars out. She's looking all around. She said, I don't you know, see anything. And then suddenly this black triangular craft silently just dropped down vertically over this ridge. And just hovered there and said after that, suddenly a, a big uh, cart of some sort and some men in uh, dark jumpsuits appeared and they transferred, you know, whatever it was from the cart to the craft, hovering craft. And then once they were done, the craft just shot off at this, you know, high rate of speed. All of this done, you know, silently. And then the men in the cart disappeared and, uh, she said, so what she said next really uh, surprised me. One, she found out later this was Dulcie, which confirmed that there was actually 
uh, you know, as the rumors have been around for many years, you know, some sort of underground base and activity there. And the other was this was in the early 70s. So here was this black diamond, you know, triangular or whatever shape craft uh, that was apparently any gravity. (laughs) Somehow or another, we were able to hover silently back in the early 70s. And the other thing was that the uh, the CIA, she reported back to her handlers, and they they were testing to see if a source that they had within whatever agency was controlling that uh, technology uh, to see if, you know, he was credible. But uh, this, uh, even as late as the 70s, our spies were spying upon one another to try to determine what they actually had <laughs> hidden from. So... So you've got all of these groups, you know, jealously guarding this most incredible technology, even within our own government. So, uh, you know, that and then the idea that uh, other factions and other places in the world wouldn't they wouldn't hesitate to knock people off to to maintain the secret is kind of naive. Uh, there's just too much at stake for them. I mean, wealth. You, we used to think about the, the wealth of nations and empires, and now we're talking about, you know, galactic greed, I suppose you could say. <laughs> anyway. Right. Galactic greed, I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that, you know, that sort of answers, I suppose, the question that, you know, a lot of people have asked that if, yeah, that the United States certainly wouldn't be the only country on this planet that if there was secret information concerning the origin of, uh, of, of UFOs, that probably, you know, uh, the other, uh, other superpowers, you know, uh, Russia, China, you know, maybe others, would also have this information. And what would be stopping, say, you know, like Russia, if they got thoroughly honked off at us for some reason to say, oh yeah, well, you know, the United States has, you know, had information about UFOs for years now, so there, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's an internet story that's floated around for some time. Various spokespeople within the Russian government have uh, supposedly said, you know, they're making an ultimatum to the U.S. that, you know, either you uh, make disclosure or we will. And remember back to that uh, U.N. meeting that took place in February 2008, Russia, China, uh, the U.S., U.K., France, uh Canada, Germany, Australia were all included in that. So most certainly, and I mean, these are only people that have this compartmentalized information, not certainly our, their regular investors, took place in this, you know, took part in that meeting. So, you know, in and of itself, that implies that there is some sort of cooperation among all of the nations who certainly share uh, the knowledge, if not the technology. And, uh, um, you know, there's probably at some level more cooperation than we realize among all the major powers. But I, I think again, uh, it's probably confined to such a few most, uh, you know, incredibly powerful people that the world still functions for the most part in the way it always has. I mean, you've got warring factions and, yeah, the uh, uh, the military-industrial complex needs to be fed on a regular basis. So, 
you know, the, uh, but ultimately, um, you got to wonder if you'd like to believe that the people who share all this knowledge and technology just wouldn't let us blow it all up. And again, even as um, uh, has been said, um, you know, the terrestrials might be the one who stop us. I mean, they have shut down missile silos uh, that we control, that uh, the Russians control, and so forth. So, yeah, demonstrating their ability to do so may be just some sort of constraint on the people who would push the button. I don't know. Well, you know, that's that's something that Mike and I have discussed on previous shows, especially when you had, say, like the whole contactee movement from the 1950s, where the Space Brothers were constantly warning that we had to stop atomic testing, that, you know, it was going to affect not only this planet, but, you know, the galaxy and the universe, which, you know, un- unless... We really have no clear idea of of, of physics. Right. It doesn't really make sense. However, if you have a group, like you said, of terrestrials who are living amongst us, then yeah, it would be in their best interest that uh, that the missiles uh, are are prevented from flying. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. just absurd. Yeah. But you know. Just a lot of new age stuff mixed in with with all of this stuff. You guys know that. I mean, of course. Any, I mean, any, any uh, of this material, anything anomalous. Right. Well, uh, you know, I uh, uh, approached all of the uh, information I was given. I try to be as skeptical and analytical as possible. Uh, um, uh, for many years, my background was as an analyst, a financial analyst, and so you know, I, if I couldn't, uh, you know, plot it out on a chart or you know somehow or another, you know, look at uh, understand it on a micro level, I didn't, you know, it just accept it right off the bat. Uh, one of the uh, things that I discussed with you earlier was these uh, two. Uh, uh, Area 51, specifically from the S4 um, compound, uh, this background and some of the things that they told me. And, of course, you know, even uh, polygraph transcripts can be uh, uh, hoaxed. And so I, I certainly would not pin everything that I've learned on this one source. However, something very interesting uh happened in regard to uh, reinforcing the story of these uh, gentlemen. Uh, I had a call from a lady who was uh, sort of emotional, historical type of thing. She said, uh, I've got some information and uh, I need to, I don't know what to do with it. I think I need to give it to you you guys, you know, because this was when uh, Steamville was all over the paper. I mean, I, at one point, I had three news trucks from local TV stations parked in front of my house waiting their turn to come in and interview me. I was phone was ringing. I mean, it was really a big deal. And so, uh, you know, and then in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex here, I don't know, it's just six, seven million people total. So with all of that coverage, um, uh, this lady had uh, gotten my contact information and, and she said, uh, I think it may be a help to you in your 
investigation and I want to get rid of it. So she didn't want to give us her name and she didn't want to meet with us personally, but she said, I'll, we'll arrange a drop off place. And so the time or two we went and it was always at night. No, it wasn't there. And she would call back and apologize and she was nervous and blah, blah, blah. So finally we arranged one more time to pick it up and we went and sure enough, she had dropped off a CD. Uh, and let me get a little background. She said, you know, follow this carefully if you can. She had a neighbor that she was good friends with, lived across the street from her. And the neighbor worked for a private security company as, I don't know, receptionist, secretary, whatever is the PC term nowadays. But at any rate, she caught wind of the fact or from listening to conversations around the office that they were spying on two prominent scientists. And they had set up surveillance cameras and, uh, and mics and so forth. And uh, these two scientists would get together at their workshop, you know, to kick around things. And uh, so she began to be concerned that maybe she was working for the bad guys. Because, I mean, why would good guys be spying on two American scientists, you know? So she decides uh, what she's going to do is make copies of one of the, these surveillance tapes and then turn them over to the FBI or somebody like that. And, you know, that way <laughs> you know, she's not going to go down with these, you know, commies or whoever they happen to be, she thought. At any rate, the neighbor said, uh, so at one point the gal came over and gave me the this, this copy of this surveillance tape because she was afraid to have them in her house that she thought maybe she was being suspected of making copies. And said a couple of days later, an unmarked, Big moving uh, van showed up in front of the neighbor's house. These guys got out, dark jumpsuits, no tags, nothing on them. Emptied out the neighbor's house, furnishings, everything, personal belongings, everything. And she said, I never (laughs) heard from my neighbor again. And she says, now I'm scared to death. So anyway, she dropped this thing off. I popped it in a, a DVD player, and sure enough, it was these two scientists who had contacted me and been given to me uh, by a different source uh, to contact. So uh, it was pretty amazing stuff. I mean, it was obvious that this was taken by um, a miniature camera, although it was pretty good, clear video, and the audio was decent, too. And it, um, apparently they had been spied upon over a period of a couple of years. And um, they had both worked together at uh, S4. They were the two scientists, one of whom had given me the transcript. And they were discussing s- such things as they had worked on. One of the scientists was retired, but his friend, uh, who was still active, working for the government or whoever it was, uh, one of the things that popped up in the conversation was he was going to Japan where he was going to inspect a UFO that uh, they had retrieved there. Um, he talked about some of the others that uh, he had inspected, as in this uh, transcript he mentioned more than eight. Um, he mentioned the anti-gravity uh, that he had created with, they were talking about the lenses and the this and that and whatnot. And one thing that just stunned me, I had never heard this before, was and one of the craft that this other scientist, in which he was keeping his buddy informed of what he was doing, uh, liquid walls. And I went, 
excuse me, did I hear that right? So I played it over again. He said one of the craft had liquid walls and that you could see right through them clearly. And, but it was just like liquid. And, I, I, you know, to me, it's still kind of a hard concept to grasp. But when people think of aliens, they think, oh, you know, humanoid, they speak a different language, you know, but they look like us, and, you know, we're just, they're just more advanced than we are and everything. I don't think they understand that alien is alien. I mean, it is beyond our capacity probably to understand it is so different, some of their yeah. technology, some of their ways of thinking, their, uh, their science. I mean, so just imagine the, the privilege of the very, very few who've had exposure to this for 50, 60, 70 years, you know. So, um, you know, that's what's being hidden from from all of us. And, of course, you know, there's there's always going to be parts of the world that are way behind. I mean, we have some cultures and uh, uh, countries that are, you know, still uh, operating the same way they did hundreds of years ago. And that's going to be upsetting to their way of life, to their way of thinking, I mean, after all, we have probably thousand different religions on the face of the earth, and every one of them thinks they are the one. So uh, there's no question that knowledge like this would upset the balance of things, but it's going to happen. And, you know, I'm in favor of uh, a more rapid pace of disclosure than we seem to be involved in, but... Uh, yeah, my- my only concern is that we're not going to get the whole story or, or the no, real story. No. Uh, probably not. As long as there are uh, powerful humans in the mix that will try to uh, manipulate, uh, you know, what we know. That's true, but I think that some of the other groups who are out there also will manipulate the information. <laughs> Keep in mind that they used to set themselves up as gods and demigods and, and, and rule over us because I believe they did. So they're not going to want us to know the whole story either. Yeah, well, in some sense, I think that humankind has deceived itself. I mean, you know, you show up here in this technology that appears to be magic and, yeah, people bow down to you, you know, it's... Who's, uh, are you misrepresenting yourself or is, you know, that's just the only way we can deal with understanding the nat- their nature. Particularly if they're, you know, they're not functioning with the same kind of a conscience basis that we are. You know, it's just not yeah. like, okay, well, that's the greeting on this planet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's, you, you, you brought up a, a very good point where you talked about, uh, you know, what you said, you know, alien is alien. I mean, that's, it's, it's really beyond our, our concepts. And, and that's, that's one of the things that has always, um, you know, made me curious about all of this is that the majority of um, entity sightings with uh, with landed UFOs practically almost always involves humanoids, and uh, so unless there is some kind of like universal constant that you know all you know intelligent species eventually just develops this you know uh, superficial frame you know be a head, two arms, legs, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. then you know are we dealing you know what are we dealing with? You know, I mean, it's you know, there's we can speculate endlessly, but uh, but again, you know, if 
we are dealing with something that is that alien, why the almost consistent humanoid uh, shape in the reports? Well, uh, over the many years that uh, you know, I've been talking to witnesses and uh, so forth. Uh, the other types that, of course, are common and recurring uh, are the gray aliens, and those tend to be the ones that are reported working along with the uh, scientists at these various places. So, and then, of course, uh, the other uh, are the reptilian types that uh, supposedly uh, are reported to have the ability to mask their appearance. Um, uh, I, I won't give you the source of this, but and so it's just take it for what it is. But uh, uh, someone that we all know very well, one of his contacts, said uh, she uh, she uh, uh, was staying at the uh, uh, governor's mansion of a, a prominent governor. <laughs> anyway, uh, as a young girl, she uh, twelve, thirteen ish, fourteen ish, the young woman. Uh, visiting with the daughters of this governor, and anyway, she was in the governor's mansion, and she was uh, new, first time there, and she was looking for a bathroom. She was on the second floor of the the family uh, part of the place, and she happened to look into this bedroom, and the governor was standing there in front of the of a mirror, adjusting his tie. But what she saw in the mirror was a reptilian. And he says, this about had a heart attack there, even this young girl and so forth. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. I mean, it could be just complete hooey, but um, if we now have the technology ourselves uh, that's been developed to, uh, you know, mask a soldier's appearance, you know, where they become invisible, and good gosh, if we can do that, just imagine what the far advanced uh, uh, highly advanced aliens can do so well even beyond that i mean historically mirrors have been seen as as devices for uh um contact in the spirit world and other dimensions you know the, uh, whether it's a scrying glass or what's the thing called tim where they used to put the beer in the dark room and oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i can't yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're i know what you're talking about yeah. i can't remember so, what the technical and, name was okay. yeah and things would come and go from it um so yes, he, he may have been. She may have seen his, that rather than him, she may have seen the entity that overshadows him, that controls him. Could be, could be. Yeah. Uh, one way or the other, though, that um, you know, there are enough stories about little people and goblins and ghouls oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. uh, little greys and reptilian folks and all of that sort of thing. That uh, yeah, there's a lot of. The, a lot of humanoid types, like you know, everybody. Uh, we interviewed uh, a, uh, a gentleman who was a short, overweight, you know, pimply-faced uh, Hispanic fellow. That's very, very nice. But anyway, lived alone, and he was telling, uh, uh, interviewed that he was uh, visited by this uh, uh, abducted by alien crew of Nordic women. He said he was aboard their spaceship, and they were all. These just gorgeous, you know, Nordic types, and uh, they promised him that if he would cooperate, that they would reward him later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he just, he's talking about the. Yeah, they were probably all actually the, like the, the prototypes uh, that Bruce Jenner is imitating. he was it for a rude awakening. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> talking anyways, about robes. 
So he definitely cooperated, and he was rewarded with sex, and they did come back more than once to his place and uh, abduct him. And But at any rate, uh, uh, I get, the person we had interviewing him, he made it actually uh, on the Mysterious Universe. It was a TV program, and uh, uh, it was a subject of a chapter of a book of one of our uh, folks who wrote about uh, sexual encounters with uh, extraterrestrials, and he made it. He was a chapter in there. But anyway, he was asked, well, why would these beautiful women, you know, uh, uh, have sex with you? And he said, well, yeah, it's a crew of women. And they are out in space for a long time. They get horny, too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, uh, they probably were like the, you know, the, uh, the ugly ones of their planet. Were, you know, set out. He's like, oh, you think we're pretty? <laughs> you should see what's, uh, what we left behind. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> well, you know, that sounds very much, though, like the old uh, uh, medieval uh, uh, succubus stories. Really you know, of, of where, you know, the man is right in the middle of, uh, uh, you know, having sex when the uh, succubus then turns into what they really look like. With, you yeah, know, that's what you know, I was it's thinking. Like what a rot, really, you know, like a rotted yeah. corpse, you know. Or, or whatever, you know, what do they really look like, you know, <laughs> he couldn't see. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just wanted a little, uh, little of that human genome take back home. There you go. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, we've heard that story time and time again within, the, you know, the UFO mythology. I mean, you have the Villas Boas story. I mean, that's, you know, that's the first one that comes to mind. And, you know, oh, my gosh, and just you know, all kinds of, of others. So it's just like, you know, it's the same scenario being played yep. over and over again. Right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I uh, have had um, any number of uh, cases of talking to abductees and yeah, it comes back a similar report. Um, uh, one of our uh, members interviewed Betty Hill shortly before she passed. She was uh, uh, still smoking like a smokestack right up to the very end. I'm, I think she died of cancer, but at any rate, character. But she um, uh, called the same story over and over uh consistently throughout you know ever uh every time pretty much uh under hypnosis and and whatnot and that about being she and uh barney being abducted by these aliens and some of the tests that they ran on her you know amniotesis was one of the things that uh the tests that the aliens ran on her she gave a very you know uh <laughs> Uh, excruciating uh, retelling of that uh, yeah. event. Another, ex- another example of, oh, we're so advanced, but look, we don't know anything about local anesthetic. Uh, well, again, um, <laughs> you know, poking a needle in us may not be seem like a big deal to, to them. We poke needles in our uh, babies to give them these vaccine, vaccinations of questionable uh, value. So, you know, maybe sticking a needle in somebody's navel doesn't seem that bad. But at any rate... Uh, they know what they're, but they know the terror it engenders. They're, they're, you know, if they're so advanced, they surely know that. Of know, course. Especially well, if they're from here. You so. know, uh, there was a uh, drug that was used... Uh, for years on horses that uh, uh, was supposed to be the perfect anesthesia. And, um, you know, the, the 
once the operation was over and, the, and it worn off, the animal just jumped up, you know, immediately was alert and everything. And so they thought, oh, this stuff is, I mean, this is a perfect anesthesia. So they tried it in a few uh, human uh, uh, situations. And uh, <laughs> what, if, what they found out was that it didn't actually anesthetize the person. It just, they were, <laughs> they were frozen. Yeah. You could, you yeah, paralyzed. Yeah. They were paralyzed, and they were experiencing every cut and every, you know, they could hear. Oh, they couldn't hear. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe some of the things we do to one another does, you know, make them not <laughs> concerned about things like that. But the point being was that every many of the things that she said, as well as the star maps she drew, have all been confirmed since then. And of course, amniotesis wasn't in use, but it wasn't even developed. Uh, back when she experienced it. So, you know, there, there are lots of cases where, um, you know, there is some support for what these folks are saying. I mean, uh, implants have been found and removed and uh, recorded moving. Um, I got to know Jim Sparks uh, some years ago, and we talked uh, several times. He, Jim Sparks was... Uh, um, as subject of the Dr. John Mack, uh, John Mack was a professor uh, at Harvard University that uh, interviewed uh, many abductees and um, placed them under hypnosis. But he said that Jim was probably his, uh, you know, the the crown jewel in his entire study. The Jim recalled over ninety percent of what happened to him, and right. And when I talked to Jim, he said that basically I remember everything. He just had to say not over ninety percent, just to give himself yeah. some room. But that's amazing, and that's yeah. got to be rough on the on the psyche. Hey, listen. We're pretty much out of time, and I think a storm is hitting Tim's house right now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, can we, can we, we get enough? Time to plug my book one more time. Yes, we want oh, to know definitely. all your stuff. Yeah, all your go to stuff. go to my website, epicvoyagers.com, E-P-I-C-V-O-Y-A-G-E-R-S.com, and you can order a uh, uh, an autographed copy, uh, and uh, or you can go to Amazon. I know there's some people out there who don't want me to know they bought my book, you know, competitors, whatever, uh, and the NSA guys, whatever. And uh, you can go to Amazon and order it either by Mark Slate Investigates the Stephenville UFO or look it up by author Ken Sherry. By the way, on Amazon, it tells me where my book has been purchased, and I was uh, a check at the first two books were bought in Washington, D.C., and I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I encourage every spook, spy, and government agent out there to go and buy Ken's book. <laughs> that make, make it a bestseller right there. <laughs> there you go. And, and Ken, uh, what's, your, what's your websites? Yeah, the website is epicvoyagers.com, E-P-I-C-V-O-Y-A-G-E-R-S.com, or you can, and you can find us on our Epic Voyagers or Ken Sherry on Facebook, and, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, we have a radio program on Monday nights, Epic yep. Voyages on InceptionRadioNetwork.com, rebroadcast on Dark Matter on Friday night, 
And we have a YouTube channel, Epic Voyagers. We've got over 400 videos there from uh, some well-known speakers that I think you'll enjoy, Jim Mars, Dr. Rita Louise, um, uh, on and on. So, uh, you know, we've got plenty of content out there for everybody to enjoy. And uh, we're working on a Roku channel. It'll be EPTV, Epic Extraordinary Phenomena TV, that we hope to uh, launch by mid-January. All right. Great. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, we have to wrap it up here. So, uh, Ken, uh, I hope that uh, we can have you back on again really soon because it seems to me that we've just barely touched uh, uh, some of the things that uh, that we'd love to talk with you about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd I'd enjoy that. And thank you very much, Tim and Mike, for the time. And uh, I enjoyed it myself. It was a quick hour and a half or (laughs) two hours, whatever it was. It was. Just stay safe, friend. My friend, thank uh, you. Careful out there. All right, right, Mike, let's wrap it up here. And uh, so uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Be sure to tune in again this time next week for what I'm sure will be another fascinating program. So good night, Mike, and everyone else out there. Take care. Happy New Year.